Welcome to the Modernizer Die Podcast, CFML News Edition, where we keep you up to date with everything going on in the Cold Fusion community. We'll share the latest news on events, releases to engines, frameworks, libraries, and tools, as well as spotlighting quality content from the community. Welcome to Modernizer Die Podcast, CFML News Edition. It's episode 138, March 8th, 2022, and I'm joined by the big man himself. Luis Mahano, how you doing? Good, man. Good. How are you, Gavin? Doing good. Doing good. Good to have you on here. Yeah, so, man. Uh, we're getting a pretty good mix with these uh, episodes, and uh, it's good to see the feedback too. People like the the different opinions, and uh, usually, if we we announce it early enough, people want to come and uh, pick your brains in the chat. So glad to have some people in there so you guys uh get that chat ready for us we'll try and keep up as we get through our things but uh first up let's thank order solutions so obviously order solutions uh, makes cold box command box forge box test box and uh, plenty of boxes out there what are the some of the ways you want us to say thanks to order solutions for uh, helping with this podcast and all the things that Autos does you're reading so say so, uh yeah so basically some of the ways we want to say thanks back to order solutions as uh you know like and subscribe our videos on youtube uh help us reach for the stars is our new little push here so we want you guys to help us with some of our most common uh repos make sure you star and fork our repos up on github helps us get a little more attention and everything else and we have a little tool that uh, eric just put up on forgebox called command box dash github and what that does is if you basically run it inside of a, an, an application of yours on your on your site, uh, it will actually go out and then auto star um, all the repos that you use, all your dependencies. And so you can set that up. So uh, that'll make your life easier. You don't have to worry about which modules do I use, which things am I using. Um, by running that, you can just uh, basically like them all at once, uh, put some stars on there for us. And of Very course, module, actually. I think it's... You should highlight, Gavin, that that module actually uses all the uh, authentication OAuth uh, paths that through command box through the CLI. So it's really really cool. Yeah. So basically, um, yeah, just when you start that one up, if you do um, just the help command, so gh space help command box helps really great, and then it will give you all the steps you need once you authenticate your GitHub account, and then uh, basically you can run it from any any app you have. Also, we'd like you to subscribe to our podcast on your podcast app if you guys listen on your app and leave us a review. That's really helpful too. And of course, um, we have CFCast, which is a free and paid account. So obviously help us there and we release new content every week. And then Audis has a book, 102 Cold Box H MVC Quick Tips and Tricks that Luis wrote uh, on Gunrobe. And we're still bugging bread. We're, we're actually adding more and more little tips to his uh, repo so we can get his... Uh, command box uh, tips and tricks went out. I think last week's video um, when he did the the webinar was good content. We can probably just go take that, transcribe it, and that's half a book right there. So, But uh, those are some of the ways you can say thanks back to Auto Solutions because uh, obviously without Auto Solutions, we wouldn't be able to do this podcast. And there's another group of people that make this podcast possible. You want to tell us about our Patreon supporters, Luis? Yes, yes, we have uh, 36 patrons right now. They're providing about 96% of the funding for Modernize or Die. This kind of uh, fluctuates uh, back and forth here, but we're really excited about this. We're, if people didn't know, if you become a patron, you get lots of goodies with us as well. 
So if you uh, go at the, I believe it's the silver or the gold level, uh, you will get a subscription to CFCasts and a Forgebox Pro account um, as part of your patronage. So yep really? i think it's actually even bronze like we're, we got pretty low levels to get some awesome stuff there we'll so. tell you yeah. more at the end when we get there um for sure Definitely. but it's uh but every every everything that that comes through patreon it really goes to open source and uh, and our charity as well so it's it's really it's really important to us we we do this uh you know day in and day out to support open source so we really thank everybody and we try to make them part of the community and part of the direction of everything we're doing yep for sure and so this week, before we get into the news even, we've got a new little section. We're calling it the Modernized Spotlight. And so this is something that we've been wanting to do for a while. You know, obviously we always <laughs> go on about modernize or die. And, uh, you know, obviously that's a little bit gloomy for some people. But we wanted to spotlight, you know, some of the positive stories, some of the use cases, you know, the real benefits you get from modernizing. And uh, we had one just pop up in the Box Team Slack the other day, Don Bellamy, Um you know, basically shared his little story and it was awesome to see. And I think those are the types of things we want to share. And so we're going to try and uh, put this modernized spotlight on, on the podcast when we can and get sort of uh, more stories from you guys out there. So if you have a story, um, you know, of something we're modernizing, you know, using CFML, the modern way has helped you, has given you some benefits or there's some cool little uh, win you had, you know, maybe you showed up some node guys or something, you know, we want to hear about it so we can share it and, you know, give people you know, some positive vibes about, you know, what you can do with modern CFML, because we know it's all great, but uh, some people need a little help, you know, a little budge, and these types of things would be like fuel for that fire. So, so yeah, you want to tell us what he, what he said, Luis? It's pretty cool. Yeah, definitely. I'm, I'm really excited for this, this spotlight. I think it's something that, that we've been trying to do at Ortus, which is bring awareness of all the tools that are out there to build, you know, really amazing uh, modern applications and secure applications well, with any of the CFML engines. And I think it's it's important to know that this is not, you know, your grandpa's cold fusion anymore, right? Uh, we've gone a long way and we have so many tools that are even more advanced than in any other languages at this point. So this story was, was really amazing uh, from Don Bellamy. Um, they basically had a, an incident on their network, and, which was obviously not CF related, just to point that out. And they basically had to rebuild a bunch of machines, right? Um, so they obviously pinpointed a very legacy app that was in CF11 uh, and another one in CF8 inclusive, uh, which was basically an API. And Don basically said, you know what, I'm just going to rewrite the whole API uh, you know, to bring it from the legacy darkness into, into the modern light. And it was amazing because he said that he rewrote an entire API legacy application using Cobox 6 in three days by himself. I mean, this is a, a, you know, a single developer guy, right? Um, and he was able to tackle, you know, the, the building of a full-fledged API from legacy to modern in three days. Uh, I don't know if he slept. I don't know if he ate. <laughs> Right. Uh, I don't know how many cups of coffee he drank, but uh, he he did it in three days. So I, I, that's just amazing. I mean, he just wanted to be thankful and he posted to us. Uh, so I think he might have slept something in there because he was still very coordinated uh, in his speech and in, in writing this. Right. Yeah. But um, I think it's amazing to see how somebody can take a tool like Callbox and Command Box and really just, you know, like I always tell Jorge that Nike slogan, right? Just do it. Right, you basically yeah. go at it. You take authority. You, you you and you go and you just do it. 
So I was so blown away by 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 him. I think it would be great to bring him on board and actually give him his testimony on on what exactly he had to tackle his challenges and stuff. So I think I, I might bring him on for the, our, our soapbox edition. Yeah, I think that'd be really cool. I mean, that's the thing is like, you know, he was upgrading from an app that was CF11 and had been upgraded from CF8. And then he was trying to, he had to update it to CF2021 for the security, uh, you know, audit stuff. And that was the thing is he, you know, he wasn't sure what was going to work, what wasn't working. And it just decided it was easier just to, to go with, you know, Coldbox API with Coldbox 6. And, and yeah, and he said, without the tools we create and work on on a daily basis, it wouldn't have been possible. And that's the thing too, like, you know, and I know we, we talk about a lot of tools that Autos builds, but you have to remember too, that there's a lot of other community members that build little tools and we, you know, build on top of them and work together with them. And so, you know, like obviously Autos does a lot of work in the community, but we also couldn't do what we did without other members of the community, you know, building and, and on Forgebox, you see that there's not just Autos. There's a lot of great people doing a lot of good work. And uh, some one of the modules we're talking about later today is actually built on a module that somebody else built too. So there's other things. And so, but yeah, so just wanted to shout out to the community as well there, but it was really cool. Uh, good to see. And yeah, it'd be good to hear a little bit more about, you know, some of the things you ran into and, you know, and it, it happens all the time. I'm rebuilding an app that was built four years ago right now. And the conversion and modernizing of an older app is actually harder than just building it fresh, looking at what the code did, using the new tools to do it. And so, yeah, I definitely feel that, you know, like the benefits are there, the benefits are real. So, yeah, I think that it's important to also highlight that you know, modernizing your current stack is way faster and way cheaper in money and in man hours than going to a new stack. You know, if you are basically moving your entire business logic that you've built and gathered knowledge through, through so much time, and you basically say, you know what, I'm going to just move to another language stack and, and, and build it from scratch. You know, there, there are issues with those approaches. It doesn't mean that it's not possible. It just means that the knowledge that you've gained from 10, 15 years of building that application and you know the, the intricacies of the engines and languages are gonna be different, right? So you're gonna be presented with other challenges and, and other areas that you did not account for, right? Uh, because you're just thinking that you're moving to a new language stack because it feels modern or it feels, you know, there's the new thing on the, on the block, right? So I think that the, the decision makers really need to, to look at those cost benefits ratio because if you just take like Don, an app that he, it's it's a legacy, you know, application and just moving into modern times and in three days time, he was able to get it up to, to speed, up to secure code quality, right? Applying all the best practices in Coldbox to do that separation of concerns. Uh, I mean, that's a big win, right? Um, and it didn't take him a year, right? Obviously every application is completely different, right? Um, but I think that I think it's really important to point out there's a really a cost benefit ratio, right? Uh, if you decide to modernize and if you decide to actually completely move to another language stack, I think that there are, there, it, in concept, it's a great idea to say, hey, I'm just going to redo the entire application in another language, right? Whether it be .NET, whether it be Python, whether it be, you know, Node.js, where it, it, there's always going to be intricacies in no matter what language you choose, no matter. Right, yeah. no language is perfect. No stack is perfect. They all have their issues, right? And they all have their intricacies. And if the, your team is not up to par with the knowledge on that language or frameworks, right, you will feel a pain, and there will be a hurdle, right? It's just normal, right? It's whatever we we decide to build. So, 
I think it's it's something that it that as a decision maker you have to have uh, really solidified and know that there are all these unknowns that will occur, right? And uh, I think the majority, well, from what I've and we both have seen, right? They they don't see it from that point of view. They just see it from the point of view that you know maybe these CF is not as used to be right, and they move away. But in all reality, the tooling that we have available right now. It is really amazing. I mean, we can do pretty much anything. We're building, we're building SaaS applications as we speak, right? With Timebox and all these advanced features, all these continuous integrations, code quality, right? Code metrics. We're doing it all, right? The, the problem is that awareness that has to go out there. And, uh, you know, I think that stories like Don's stories are really amazing to see that if you stick with the modernization approaches, you can get really a cost benefit really easy. Yeah, for sure. I mean, and something that people may not even think about, but even something like using JavaScript in your front end, you know, there's like, you know, we all use JavaScript. We've used it for years, but how many times has it bitten you on the butt when you do a console.log and you're using a non-simple value, you have a reference object and it looks the same in the console because it evaluates it later. You know, and people get bitten by that. It's just, you're just not used to it. You're, you're, you're thinking in your mind, let me dump this object out and see what's in it. Let me do something. Let me dump it out again. The console log, you know, something as simple as logging. We do it all the time. It doesn't behave the way you think it should. And little things like that. Like you said, you, you know, the language, you know how to use it, but it's those little things that, you know, can bite you and, and in any language and in anything, you've got to learn the tools, you've got to learn the, the gotchas. And so, I mean, it's, it's definitely a, a real issue. So. Yeah, yeah, and and those things take time, and I think that's the important factor that the decision makers need to to hear is that those things take time, right? Yeah. And and we all are developers, and we all want to play with the cool new things, right? It's just part of what we do, right? We uh, it's 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 a challenge, it's something great, but when there's money on the line, and when there is your business on the line, I think it, it's also important to know that you know you you, you don't want to play, right? Um, if you go all in with the new stack. You're going to have to train. You're going to have to learn all the intricacies, right? Uh, and, and and that brings a cost, right? So I think that's something that that I always encourage decision makers is to always put that in a balance, right? And decide, you know, is, is it much better to just completely change this because maybe now the requirements have changed? And that's a, that's a really great approach because, you know, maybe this is something that has to be real time. Maybe this is something that needs to run on specific micro embedded processors. Okay, then maybe the, you know CFML is not the language of choice. You know, maybe it's something like I, I go to Core Java, right, or or C Sharp, right. So I think that requirements always change, and I think that you just don't have to jump on the latest Bantech wagon just because it's cool, right, or because we feel right that there's a perception that CFML doesn't have the, that that tooling, right, which we do. Yeah, for sure. So anyway, so that's a, a new little spot. Like I said, we're going to try and spotlight some of those modernized stories and, you know, and sort of, you know, just basically talk about the different benefits that you, you, you out there in the community have. So if you have some, please share with us on Slack or whatnot. And they don't have to be our tools too, you know, like Fusion Reactor and stuff is a, you know, is a great tool. Like there's a lot of other stuff out there, you know, we just want to hear some stories and we'll, yeah. So. Okay, but um, let's talk about some news and events now. So another thing sort of in our whole ColdFusion CFML uh, initiative here is we've got um, a built with ColdFusion uh, repo that we started just recently at Audis. 
And we're basically the idea is trying to showcase, you know, a list of companies and and sites that are using Cold Fusion, and then a little bit of information about them too. Um, obviously, we're curious, like which sites are using which orders products, and and so we've created this little repo, and it's kind of nice. We've already had a few pull requests before we made a big announcement. Uh, people saw the repo and have jumped on it, so um, it's good to see. I think Image Connections and Lucid Solutions have already added their stuff. So, do you want to tell us a little bit about? why and i'll share my screen for those watching yeah i think this was something that we always get right gammon we always are like oh who's using cfml right or or which companies are using it and stuff and i think there's always information gathered left and right you know there's a lot of like built with services and they try to you know inspect headers and inspect certain things to discover things but um we discussed this internally and what we wanted to do is actually create just a data repository Right. And we're going to be using this data repository to be building a front end for it. So we're going to be building a front end, uh, you know, basically called built with. And you're going to be able to navigate and search for, you know, uh, companies and sites that are using uh, CoFusion CFML and any. At the beginning, it was just Ortis technologies, but we decided at the end to basically make it any Forgebox technology. So this basically allows anyone to basically say, hey, it uses these slugs from Forgebox. And uh, basically, this allows us to do some, some data. And then we're going to create, uh, you know, some mining tools for it and everything. And everybody can contribute. And this way, you know, it can be a central repository uh, for the community where they can basically just add whatever they, they want in terms of, of exposure and, and sites. And, and we'll promote it. Right. Yep, and we even have a key there for if they're Patreon supporters or not. So we'll have a little badge for them on the site. Yeah, so, yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, like I said, it's just simple JSON in here. You can see there's a couple other people already in the repo. Like I said image connection um, and and Lucid. And but basically, yeah, it's a simple little repo. But if we start adding to this, and then obviously, you know, Otis has a lot of customers, and we got to make sure that we're allowed to to publish that information. And, you know, if, if it's not something you necessarily want all the details out, you can just say that you're, you know, you're using the, this technology and only put what you're comfortable with. You know, obviously the sites out there is built with CFML. That's great to know. If you're willing to share some of the other details, cool. If you're not, then we understand that too. So, you know, it's one of those things where, you know, we could have just gone and added a lot of sites on there, but we wanted to give it as, you know, the people in, that run the organization give the option to, to do that. And, um, you know, so... It's going to be a cool little, cool little information thing, you know. And even inside our own orders products, sometimes I'm like, wait a minute, which one's using ORM? Which one's using Quick? You know, which one's using Content Box? Like, you know, you start to get a few sites, and you know, somebody wants an example of something. Sometimes it can be hard to figure out what's using what, because you know, obviously sites evolve over time, different tools come out different times, and you know, we don't refactor everything every time a new product comes out. So. It's a it's a pretty cool little little idea, and yeah, I can't wait to get that up and running, and then we'll we'll have to showcase the site we use and how we build the site to to read that as well. That should be a little fun little library too. So yeah, definitely, definitely. Cool. We also had a quick little update here. CFML spreadsheet version three point four point zero was released, um, so you can get. Um, you know, a new sheet info method to return properties of a specific sheet within your workbook instead of having to loop through them all. Um, they're, they're always adding updates to that. It's a great tool. And remember, this used to be the Lucy spreadsheet, but it actually works in Adobe and Lucy. So uh, CFML spreadsheet available up on, um, on GitHub, and I believe it's up on Forgebox as well. So 
Cool. We have a few uh, webinars coming up. You want to tell us about the next one? Yeah, definitely. So um, who is it this March? Oh, it's you, Gavin. Yes. So uh, you are up this uh, this month uh, doing our Ortus webinar, and you're going to be talking about, obviously, Forgebox. So I think this is a, a really cool webinar that I'm really looking forward for you to present on because it's going to bring that awareness of this directory. I think it's it's really important that we start disseminating even more information about Forgebox, about how this repository can help anybody in the community to share and store their ideas, packages, whatever they're, they're building on. You know, even if it's a simple CFC with a simple function on it, um, you can share it really, really quickly. You know, simple command box command and you're up and running. And I think that's that's what you're going to be showing, showcasing is basically how to commit your code to, uh, to Forgebox, right? Yep. How to work with it and and really just bring really interesting uh, approaches to modern CFML by sharing and using modularity, right? So uh, I'm really looking forward to your webinar this month. Yep, and it's building on top of what I'm working on for CFcast. So I'm you know I'm working on some publishing Forgebox modules and you know we're looking at a lot of different things and you know. Like I said, a lot of people think you have to be using Coldbox to use Forgebox. And, you know, just like we say, you don't have to use Wirebox inside a Coldbox. You can use a standalone. We have to keep telling people. But I want to just show people how easy it is to, you know, to make a, a little module, how easy it is to put up on Forgebox, and how you can install it in from Forgebox into your app, which isn't even, you know, a Coldbox app. Um, and so how you can wire up some of those things. So, you know, we're, we're definitely want to make it more easy for people to get up and running. And, you know, a lot of times... We talk about using all these tools and we forget the basics, you know, like the first few steps, how to get up and running, how to make a simple package. And then like, okay, well now it's not a simple package. How do I add that? You know, what if we take something that someone else has, you know, built and how do we make that available in Forgebox? And so, you know, I'm looking at um, doing something where we take someone's code essentially with permission, you know, and add it into a cold box uh, module and, and make it available. So um, that series is, is going alongside uh, this webinar, but this webinar is Forgeboxification. You know, so come get a taste for it and you'll see how easy it is. And I've already got, um, you know, a lot of it mapped out. So I'm still working on the final details, but I think it'll be a good, uh, good one for all of those who have used Forgebox before. Um, and, you know, or maybe those who haven't, but, you know, just doing my research, a lot of the, the articles and videos and everything, they're using, you know, all the information from a few years ago. Forgebox has been updated so much lately. So I'm going to show off some of the newer things too, because before, you know, you needed to be able to zip up your code or have a Git repo with a zip. And with the S3 storage, you don't even need a repo anymore. You just need a folder with some code in it and you're done. Like, and it'll yeah. zip it up for you, publish it for you, stick it up on S3 and link it all up. And I mean, it's so easy. So uh, register today. Um, you can go to the autosolutions.com slash events slash webinars to find out more about it. Um, but it should be a good one. I'm doing it. So if it's not, you can uh, tell me all about it. And, you know, it's a webinar. So chip in in the chat and, uh, you know, we can answer your questions as we go. So very cool. Very cool. Yeah, I think it would be cool to showcase that you really can store anything in Forgebox, right? So um, we're starting to even basically store full sites or full applications because it, it's version, right? It's completely version. You know, the command box takes care of the dependencies, right? So after you've done your CI, all your testing, you basically publish your full site. And then you can basically leverage Command Box to just deploy it. Pretty crazy. 
Okay, next up we have a Hawaii CF user group. The CFUG in Hawaii is going to be having Mark Takada talking about moving your legacy Cold Fusion application to modern CFML. I see a trend here. Have you seen this trend, Luis? <laughs> modern CFML, it seems to be the, the, the keywords lately. The keyword lately, I guess. They're catching up now, so that's good. We started a trend, Gavin. We got to feel trendy now. Yep. So that's going to be March 24th. Um, it's going to be 1 p.m. Hawaiian time. So I believe that's 3 p.m. Pacific. Um, so Central was 5 p.m. Um, but Mark's going to be talking about, uh, you know, old legacy code now called Fusion Applications. You know, how do you move it to modern CFML? You know, why should you move it to modern CFML? You know, and, and I think he brings up some of the same points you were talking about as well. It's like, you know, basically... Commodity FML is smart, you know, easier management, rapid deployment, fewer bugs, modern responsive front ends. You know, we got all those things going for us. So uh, it'd be good to good to see that and, uh, you know, see what he's talking about there. And, uh, you know, anytime we're talking modernization, it's a, it's a good thing for CFML. So uh, they are going to be doing that um, on Adobe Connect. So we're sharing the link here. Um, and, yeah, it'll be, uh, be good to see that one. Next yeah, up, oh, I think sorry. we should attend on, on that one and, and kind of um, help out Mark on the chat. <laughs> <laughs> yep, sounds good. Okay, next up we have um, a special happy birthday announcement. Uh, Docker, I guess Docker is going to be nine years old um, next, well, this month, I guess. So um, the Docker community is having an all-hands um, meetup, and so it's going to be March 31st. 8 a.m. to 11 a.m. Um, Pacific time. They said join them in celebrating Docker's ninth birthday. Uh, the virtual events be an opportunity to you know come together with Docker staff to learn, share, and collaborate all things Docker. So it's a little three-hour sort of mini mini event, and uh, we're we'll put this in our event section too. But we want to just spotlight it. Can you believe Docker's nine years old already? Does that make you oh. feel old? Yes, <laughs> for sure. I mean, I I think it was. It felt just like yesterday where you and I were like, oh, look at this. And and we ended up in, in their conference. And now, yeah. like seven years later, I think it's like, oh, my gosh, it's nine years old. Yep. I remember Mark, you talking about it way back in the day. We we're still talking about Vagrant and stuff like that. And, and yeah, Vagrant was objective. the hot sauce. Yeah. yeah, for sure. It's so different. But so that's uh, that's a pretty cool little event. Uh, you know, good to see what they're what they're talking about celebrating and lots of uh, the key Docker community will be there as well. So we'll be sharing that one here as well. And of course, Adobe's got a workshop next week as well. So March 9th and another one coming up April 21st. Let's see here. So they're doing uh, March 9th at 9 a.m. Central. European um, time. Oh, Central European time. That bit me. Yep. yep so sure. Central European. So 9 a.m. Central European. So yep. I'm guessing that will be minus nine. So it'll be like 2 a.m. Central time. <laughs> yeah. So 2 a.m. Central time. Uh, so I guess I'm, I'm I guess he's targeting the European market here. And then on Thursday, April 21st, the same time, uh, Damien, Damien and, oh, man. Bruin Dogs. Dogs. Yep. Dogs. <laughs> And, we think. Uh, do we know what kind of workshop they're going to be doing, Gavin? Yeah, I mean, it's basically a full-day workshop covering um, all the facets of Adobe Cold Fusion. So oh, it's really great for, you know, newer developers or someone that needs a sort of a touch-up. It's very similar to what they cover when you're doing the exam. 
and so they did have one. Brian Sappy did a you know American time zone one, uh, I believe, last month, and we're hoping to get a couple more of his as well. But um, you know, if that time zone works for you, it sounds like a, a really good workshop, and they're offering them basically every month through through summertime. So it's uh, a lot of availability if those dates don't work for you. But um, they're making a big push on it, and it, uh, from what I heard, it was a really good workshop. So. Uh, if that works for you, there's a, a couple of links here. And then if you need to, uh, they have more stuff up on the meetus.adobeevents.com slash coldfusion. And that has uh, upcoming you know webinars, et cetera, as well, like the, the ones we've mentioned from Mark Takata as well. So um, the full list is updated pretty, pretty, pretty regularly now. So we'll try and keep you guys up to date as it comes up. And we'll go from there. So next up... We have our CFCast content. All right. So we got uh, Brad Wood uh, releasing some very cool stuff for Command Box 5, uh, which is our webinar series. So it is now available on CFCast.com. All webinars are free. So you can go in there and start viewing all the content. Yep. I know we have another a couple of series, including mine, that are uh, in process. So we're going to get some more videos out for those very soon. Um, so keep an eye out and we'll keep you up to date as we roll them out. So remember cfcast.com. And then if you've got any requests for a certain type of content, let us know too. We're, you know, happy to take requests and build up our library there. So, okay. Conferences and training. First up, we have the Docker community all hands, like we mentioned. So Thursday, March 31st, 8 to 11 AM Pacific time. Um, so we already ran over that one, so we'll jump forward to the next one. And you want to tell us why you're speaking at DevNexus this year? So DevNexus uh, is finally coming back in person. Really excited to be attending DevNexus again this year. Uh, obviously closed for COVID, but it is the largest Java conference in the U.S. Uh, more than 3,000 people attend and it's just a, an amazing conference to go check out, not only about Java, but about every dynamic language out there is, is represented. So Brad and I have been going for many years now, and we always come out with great ideas, great you know, uh, networking as well, and being able to evangelize on all tooling that, that we have from our community. And this year we are very lucky to be presenting as well. So Brad's going to be presenting on what's a pull request, contributing to open source. And this gives him a chance to kind of showcase all the things that we're doing with open source to the Java community. And then I will be talking about AlpineJS, uh, Declare and React with Simplicity. Uh, AlpineJS is a, a very lightweight uh, JavaScript framework uh, built by Caleb Porcio. Really amazing little framework, small, small, lightweight. I think it's like 8K or something like that. But it brings a lot of declarative uh, knowledge, just like Tailwind and reactivity, like Vue.js. It actually feels like Vue.js, but it's a very lightweight approach, especially great for legacy applications, Gavin. So if you have a legacy application built on jQuery or you know Bootstrap, and you know you want to bring it forward to the next level, you can do it with Alpine very easily. You don't have to have a build process in place. You can just drop the core library in place. They even have uh, released lots of components. I think in the last two weeks um, that will basically integrate with pretty much anything that jQuery did. So um, this gives us a chance, at least with Brad, to, to present about modernization techniques as well. But this conference is, is really, really cool. Um, actually, I'm going to try to talk to Pratik and see if we can get some 
some discounts for our community uh, for DevNexus if people want to attend. This is in, the, in downtown Atlanta, great venue, great food, uh, and great events. Yeah, it sounds really cool. Yeah, I mean, I know Brad, you know, like he always comes back and he's all excited about some different ideas that things that we can do. But a lot of time he's like, it's really cool from a CFML side to see all the pain and struggle that they have because cold fusion makes it so much easier to do a lot of things that you know like you have to really fight java to do and so he gets a kick out of that too he's like oh yeah we've been doing that for like six years in cold fusion you know <laughs> or yeah look at this command box thing i built look at this it it's running funny. on the jvm and so the last time we went i think it was before the pandemic i think it was 2020 was the last one if i remember correctly but we were we were in a session and it was a spring boot session, right? And they were basically introducing default values for arguments in the functions. And we were like, what? Right? And you know, the CoFusion has had this for years, right? And they were all, you know, so excited about, you know, having a default argument on the spring boot framework. And I was like, wow. And then, you know, the about routing, adding a, a one specific route. So you know, it's, it's an eye opener as well. Uh, you know, that it's all about perception, Gavin. That's yep. what I learned. It's all about perception. Yep. You don't know what you don't know. Exactly. And so, yeah. So I always thought it's really interesting and, uh, yeah, I know that you guys get a, get a kick out of that for sure. But, uh, we were also mentioning Docker. DockerCon is coming up May 10th. So that's a free and online virtual conference. Uh, I see a, um, a question there, Daniel just asked, is it in-person only for DevNexus? Yes, DevNexus is in-person only. So, but back to DockerCon. Um, DockerCon's great. Um, it's, we obviously attended the in-person ones, but the last few years have been doing online and it's been a huge success. Uh, it's really neat to have that many options too, as far as um, the content. They have a lot of it's just open chat rooms and everything to talk to people, but they also have like 50 million different, uh, you know, rooms available for different things. And they do have the option to replay them. So a lot of times you'll actually have, you know, different time zones. They'll have replays of the event. So if you're in a different time zone, you can still catch up with the content, uh, and, you know, then attend the ones live. So that's really cool. And that's uh, at docker.com slash docker.com docker con with an n sorry at the end um but that's may 10th and another one i'm looking forward to and uh, hopefully we get approval uh, i'd like to go to the us view js conf down in fort lauderdale florida yeah this is in my old uh college neighborhood so uh fort lauderdale so i know the place and the place is really cool so uh, i don't know how much conferencing you're going to be doing gavin if you go down there but because it's all beach and all party but uh i think you should go anyways yeah i think it'll be good <laughs> and like go said, represent yep i think it'd be a good little time to you know like i said if there's other people out in the community that want to attend a lot of people doing view be good to get like a little cfml group together to, to hang out and you know in the evenings and spend some time with the community but uh, also learn a lot of stuff about view as yeah, i mentioned no. previously view three is something that i really need to dive into all the code i'm working on now is all view two view two view two so i'm really looking forward to like just immersing myself in view three <laughs> and i think that's a great way to do it so um yeah for sure for sure so it's a, it's a great conference june uh 8th our workshop day and then june 9th to the 10th is the main conference and I'm pretty sure that we're going to be sending a, a delegation from the Ortiz team to be there and represent. So if you're in the area, uh, Miami, Fort Lauderdale, West Palm Beach, Boca, Del Rey, you know, come by. 
and hang out with us. Maybe we should do a, like a little meet up, meet up or something, Gavin. That's what I'm thinking. That. Yeah, that's yeah. what I'm thinking. It'd be yeah. great to do. Let's work and... on that. Maybe we can announce it on the next CFML news. Yep, for sure. So we also have some uh, into the box updates. You want to tell us about that? Yeah. So our, our, our dates are pretty much solid here. September 27th through the 30th. Uh, we're back in person again. Um, probably we'll do a hybrid uh, virtual uh, as well since, since it worked out so great last year. But our in-person is, is solid. Now we're bringing the workshops back now that all this COVID situation is, is, is dying down. So we're going to have two days of workshops. We're actually deciding on these workshops right now as we speak. We want to get them out and about in this month of March, uh, hopefully, uh, at least the workshops. And we're going to be starting a call for speakers next week. So things are getting solid uh, for this September 27th and 30th. Yep. And then obviously there's a few perks if you are a speaker and you're selected. Um, so, you know, that makes it even easier to, to get there. But definitely tell your boss you're going to be gone uh, September 27th through the 30th. And then, uh, yeah, and we'll, we'll announce that as soon as we have the forms up to, to get some ideas in there. So uh, we're always looking for new speakers too. We'd like the community members. It's not an, an audit event. There's always a lot of community speakers. We try and limit orders to less than half, you know, it's hard sometimes because, you know, everyone's asking for different things, but, uh, you know, we want to get a lot of community members in there. So put your name in the hat and, uh, yeah, we'll, we'll put it through the selection committee and hopefully we'll see you there one way or the other. And then into the box of the TAM, uh, I know we're still tentative on that, but it's looking December 1st and 2nd, right? That's roughly the, the time zone. Yeah, so we're still kind of waiting for the local government to basically remove restrictions on, on meetings. Um, things are opening up left and right. So we're just kind of waiting for that go ahead. And once we get that go ahead, we'll, we'll kind of set the venue. And, but that, those are dates that we want to work for the entire team. So two days in Latin America, hopefully all our Latin American brothers and hermanos and hermanas can come over and, and be there. Cool. And then CF Summit, we're still waiting on news for Adobe. We've reached out and asked them if they've got any insight or any information, but um, hopefully we'll hear from that. Usually it's later in the year. Uh, I'm not sure if they're going to have uh, um, you know, any information there. And then we haven't heard anything about CF Camp either. So we're going to you know, uh, try and see what's going on there. I know that they haven't done the online version. Um, so they've had uh, in a little hiatus, but I know that they're hoping to get back. It's just regulations and COVID and everything is the main reason they can't go forward. So we'll see uh, what happens there. We'll let you know as we find out. So, and then if you want more conferences, this isn't enough for you. We've got comps.tech has a great list of conferences and uh, we'll be putting up our information there so you guys can see the call for speakers right there as well and we'll be on the list so uh, we put that on our to-do list too Luis. <laughs> I know I know we have to add that to the list. Yep okay let's talk about some blogs tweets and videos of the week and the first one up is um, Ben Adele he's been uh, doing some work and one of his blog posts I think it was earlier in the week it's probably here somewhere um, he accidentally got upgraded to MySQL 8. <laughs> and so in the process, um, he had a little adventure and he shared his blog, uh, obviously, about that. But uh, the most recent blog post he's just posted was talking about using common table expressions or CTEs to create derived tables in MySQL 8. 
and I used uh, Postgres a lot lately, and uh, the the client we were working with UCTs quite a lot, and they're pretty cool. I didn't even know what they were before I started working on it because uh, I just hadn't been exposed to them, but uh, it's pretty neat. Have you used them very much, Luis? I use them in Oracle and in SQL Server. Basically, it allows you to do basically what the in-memory kind of temporary results and stuff. I actually didn't even know that MySQL actually had support for them. So it's actually very interesting to see that because uh, they are they can come in very, very handy if you need to kind of do something in line, uh, you know, really easily. Obviously, I the performance crazy person in me always tries to stay away from them because obviously they got to construct these things in memory. Um, but uh, there are ways to achieve it in other approaches, right? But but it's a great tool to have. Yep, and uh, and he even mentions recursive common table expressions, which might get your head hurting a little bit, but um, it's pretty yeah. cool. Yeah, and it, like I said, a lot of these things, maybe you have to look and see if it's worth the, the hit on it, but it does a lot of things that, you know, you may want to do in ColdFusion instead normally, but it's really neat. So there's, there's a lot of interesting things that we did. We did some, you know, some crazy things for reporting and everything, and it made it so much easier um, with yeah. CTE. So, so that's pretty cool. So he talks a little bit about that. Um, of course, he was sharing a lot more as he went as well. So we'll have a few more coming up here. But uh, Charlie was also talking about some um, Fusion Rector release information. So it looks like um, recent database and API time features that they mentioned here. So I'm going to share my screen. Yeah, so he mentioned that uh, 8.7.4 added a new time feature or whatnot, but he wanted to sort of reiterate that as well and, and talk about some of the, you know, the other posts. So uh, Charlie's very detailed, and so he's given us a lot of great information here too. Um, so talking about how they've added columns for the database and API time in the request log. I haven't tried the API timing. I wonder, wonder what that's going to be like. So uh, he has some screenshots in there um, as well, so you can sort of see how much time was spent in the database and how much time was spent in the API and for the whole duration. So yeah, I think it also measures uh, the API time measures time uh, doing CFHTTP calls. So if you're basically calling APIs, it'll try to give you you know how much time was spent on you know those HTTP uh, executions. Yep, and as usual, the comments are just as valuable as the content. So uh, <laughs> yeah. read through that as well. Um, but yeah. FusionRect is a great tool and, you know, they're always pumping out new releases and it's, it's good to see, you know, Charlie does a lot of presentations for them too, because obviously uh, Charlie uses tools like FusionRect to help customers. So um, it's really good to, to see that. He knows his stuff. Yep. So it looks like we had a flashback tweet here from John Barrett too. So he was talking, there's little, you know, tweets about CFML and when you started using it and everything going around lately. And, and so, he shared this one. It's a bit of a flashback. So I guess yeah, year, yeah. the University of Hawaii used to use Cold Fusion in a you know in an ICS class four fifteen way back in two thousand and five. And so if you click on it, you'll actually see this old Cold Fusion article. So introduction to development of dynamic web applications. And so this is you know way back. 2007 is this uh, this version of this file, obviously, but um, yeah, kind of interesting. He's talking about uh, CGI and Perl and ColdFusion markup language and evaluating websites and you know, web services. Yeah, so it's kind of rage at that time. 
Yeah, so it's kind of interesting to, you know, to see CFMX sequel. So lots of interesting stuff. So, you know, if, if you want to check out what legacy code was like, this is how they taught it. You know, this is the how they were teaching it back in the day. So uh, pretty cool, a little flashback. I mean, I remember doing um, a, a project back in, in university, and I'd already learned, I was working for the university, writing Cold Fusion apps at the time, and we could build out senior project in, like, anything. And everybody was doing Java and all these crazy things. And I'm like, I whipped that thing out on Cold Fusion so fast and blew everybody away because... It was just so easy, and it looked so professional because it's a web page, you know. It just compared to having to draw stuff on. In the old days of Java, Java, you had to like draw things on with coordinates, and you had to make your own buttons, and oh, so much easier. Good old days, good old yeah. days, fun good old days. Exactly. <laughs> so it was a kind of a, a nice flashback there. Okay, so this one here, I saw you were actually active on Twitter talking to Ben Nadal because he was talking about how 10 years ago to the day he attended a presentation from Tim Cunningham about version control on the database, the final frontier. And yeah. I actually remember hearing about this, but um, yeah, so Ben was like, you know, now in 2022, you can't imagine not tracking database schema ch and, you know, changes and, and schema migrations without being a version control, you know, like the old days or such commando yeah. days. I mean, I definitely days. think that was a, the final frontier at that time. Um, I think it was when I started using actually a, a project called Liquid, which was basically a Java project to track your database, right? And then we had all kinds of tooling like Redgate uh, to actually synchronize your, your databases, produce those SQL change scripts, right? So I think it's always been a pain uh, to kind of address so it's it's really him basically going through through that approach, right? Of how to get migrations ready for, especially using you know DDL, which is the data definition languages, and then the data manipulation language. So um, really details always from from um, Ben, and then how he's tracking and coming up with a convention to actually build his his migrations, right? So yeah. I, I took a stab at him basically because uh, you know Eric Peterson and our uh, built the command box migrations project back in 2017 and uh you know basically all everything that he's done here is is there and more right we we actually released a version four which includes seeders so you can actually even seed your database with with uh you know even production data if you wanted to right but um i think that the moral of the story is that it's very important to to version your database right change sets, date, not only data, but also structure, right? And uh, I think uh, that's why I tweeted at him and say, hey, you know, look at the command box migrations because it's it's already built, right? And we've been using it for years now. And uh, I think it can bring a lot of happiness to developers that want to track their database because we all know that uh, doing things manually uh, is just not happy. Uh, and the yep. cool thing about creating the command box migrations is that you can unit test them. So... With, it's very important because uh, you can actually not only have those migrations, but you can actually run run them up, run them down, run them specifically, right? Have a test database that you want to run them against. So I think that the importance of the testing aspects of these migrations, especially dealing with data, is important. So I think you know that's why we built command box migration. So I love his yeah. his, his blog post. It's very dear to our hearts here at Ortus. So um, uh, hopefully Ben didn't. Didn't dislike that I took a dig at, at, at him to look at sea of migrations, but 
there's a lot of goodies in Forgebox, like I told them, and I think it's important people, like, again, uh, they don't know what they don't know, right? So. Yep, exactly. And so, yeah, I mean, he started that back in 2011, I think he said, you know, he's, he was embarrassed that he had his blog up for that many years without doing it, you know, like, he's that's still pretty impressive that he started the migrations back then. So he already had a system, he was already doing it way there before. He mentioned Liquid Base, that's cool. Yeah, so it was it was kind of cool. Like he mentioned some other names, and you know, looking at Ruby on Rails for inspiration, and a lot of people have done that. And so I really like that blog post. And yeah, like I said, these days it's it's so neat to be able to to do that. And one thing I really like about that too is when you push out your branch, you know, you always forget. Wait, did I run that migration yet? And sometimes you need to run the migration for the new branch, but it can't run for the old branch because you're changing things that, you know, wouldn't work in the current code. So a lot of times you want to push code, but you've got to coordinate it with a DBA and, you know, the DBA can actually approve these as part of your, you know, your deploy process and stuff. So you don't have to worry about it. So there's a lot of things like this that, you know, just really automate a, you know, a team. If you're a one man show, like maybe you don't need this, you know, maybe you can do this when you're, when you're working, but if you start to have a team and everything, all these little tools, you know, they, they really save your bacon. You know, I don't know how many times we used to push out code and forget something, you know, whether it's an environment variable that we hadn't created yet, or were we supposed to change an Nginx rule or something, or, you know, this, uh, all sorts of things out there. And so these types of tools definitely make that easier. Oh yeah. I mean, I remember when I was working at, at, at Esri, I had to actually do my change sets in my change file that somebody else had to pick up and actually go execute. Right. And it was more of like, Oh, I hope it works. Right. Yeah. So kind of deal. So I think I, it's always been a pain. Right. So I think that nowadays people should be version controlling all their change sets. Yeah. And especially with like, you know, sharing between team members, you know, if you create a new table, how does your new team member know, you know the table exists or it needs to exist or what data should it have or anything else? So, you know, like just all these things, you know, make it easier. And that, that leads us to the next one where Ben Adele, um, he was moving a SQL to a per application data source in Cold Fusion 2021. Cause as he mentioned, he, you know, recently upgraded from version five to eight. Uh, and so in the scary yet to update all his data source configuration in his production environment, as well as his local Docker environment. And then, you know, he basically came down to the point where it was like, you know, he had to go into cold fusion administrator and, you know, there was all these issues and he said it was a huge point of human failure. And so basically, you know, he was thinking I should just use this in the, you know, application file, you know, they, they have a way for you to con configure that, uh, directly in there and, you know, Basically, he wanted to add that into the application data source. And so basically, um, you know, he said he wanted to be in source control too, so he can push out. But, you know, he obviously said that credentials should never be in the source control. You know, don't store them in source control. Um, but I thought this was interesting because he, he said he basically took it over. Uh, you know, it took him, you know, basically a few mornings to do it and everything. And the cool thing was, is um, he found cfconfig. So, you know, cfconfig has actually helped him figure out how to go change the Neo data source file and, you know, where the data was saved and all this stuff. And uh, obviously, uh, using command box Docker image, you know, cfconfig is just there. You can use cfconfig right away and you can do all sorts of stuff in there and it kind of makes your life easier. So um, basically, you know, command box cfconfig was doing stuff there and you know and so he was saying he was already using it for his local docker container you know and so anyway so it, you know it was a nice walk through talking about all the different things and you know it was kind of interesting to see 
you know, how he basically went from start to finish. And, you know, like I said, I really like the learning process and the things he runs into and the way he solves the problems he runs into. So it's in the end being, uh, you know, through all his, um, his stuff and his application, uh, CFC here. So you'll see, you know, he's putting all the URL components in here. He's got all the allowed commands. So everything, um, you know, basically right in the application CFC. Pretty crazy. Yeah, I, I remember when they came out per application, per application data source mappings. And, you know, the documentation has not been very good from both CFML engines, to tell you the truth. I, I always had a hard time finding exactly what to put in there. But, uh, but yeah, I mean, that's why, um, you know, Brad wrote CFconfig. It was just uh, dealing with all these issues from the CFML engines is a pain. So that's the, that's how basically we started just leveraging CFconfig for everything to have reusability. But I, I feel Ben's pain here. Uh, yeah. I'm glad he was able to document this very clearly. Yeah. They I mean, are, a, they're a great lifesaver to use them. Yep, for sure. And so, Obviously, his settings are in the in the data source, right in the application CFC. With cfconfig, you know, it reads them, uh, you know, on startup with command box automatically. But you can use that to to manually run a command to you know take those cfconfig settings and overlay your actual, uh, you know, real server too. So there's there's all different ways to work with it, and yeah, cfconfig is a great tool. So I'm glad uh, Ben had fun in the, in the nuts and bolts, but. That's a, that, I remember the pain Brad spent hours and days just trying to figure out if I change this one sitting, you know, in Lucy, where does it put it? Or if I change this one sitting in, you know, Adobe Cold Fusion, where does it put it? And basically you'd have to make a change and then do a diff and see what changed, you know, <laughs> it was crazy the process he went through. And so every version comes out, we got to check and see. And that's the best thing about CFconfig. It makes your settings easier to migrate from one version of the same engine or even different engines. Yep. Um, when compatible, because obviously some things are just different. But and it, it kind of has become the standard for portability for CFML. I mean, the Lucy folks have actually basically adopted CFconfig as the standard for the reusability of settings. So you know, hopefully Adobe can can do the same because then you know everybody just using CFML engines will have one standard uh, to store the actual settings for the CFML engines. Yep. Okay, next up, we have another one from Mark Takata. So trying out Redis for Cold Fusion caching. And so he said he had a customer reach out to him about moving their session storage to Redis. And so he decided to play around with it. And so, um, you know, as he starts with, it's dead simple to get yourself a Redis instance going, um, you know, and basically walks through that. So if you haven't messed with Redis, this is, sounds like a, a good starting point. Yeah, I mean, I mean the, ba the base support in, in the CF uh, Adobe engine for, for Redis is there. Um, so getting it, getting it to work is pretty straightforward. Um, I, it would have been great to, oh, here it is. He, he put out the docs. That's what I was going to be concerned about because last time I saw them, they were not very, oh, now it's, now it's there. So it's completely docked. Very good. Good job. Yep. It's good to see Mark being so active with the, the community, getting his blog posts out there and webinars and everything. It's uh, yeah, you know, it's a big improvement. So I really, really like seeing him out there and, you know, and hopefully, hopefully he can uh, make it into the box this year. I think last year we had a, you know, an issue with uh, travel restrictions and everything. So, uh, but yeah. Okay. So we also had a, a blog from Nolan Irk and this one started because uh, there was a, a question on Facebook and, you know, they're like, 
Um, basically, someone said, you know, why do cold fusion jobs require a computer science degree when they don't teach CFML in college? And so, you know, everyone was, you know, back and forward and a little bit. And so Nolan yeah. sort of wrapped up his thoughts and uh, put it in a blog post. And so what are your thoughts on it? Obviously, you're, you're an educated person and you do a lot of hiring for audits and everything. You know, what, what are your thoughts on the when they, someone says, you know, why would a degree be good for a developer looking for a cold fusion job? Well, I think that it, depending on what kind of degree, right? I mean, we have people on the team with art degrees, right? People on the team with marketing degrees. So I think that the, obviously I kind of disagree with the statement that you have to have a degree, right? Because for me, I'm mostly looking for passion more than the degree, right? Obviously it helps. And, and here's where I would say that if a person has a degree in computer science or engineering, they stand out to me and... The reason is that me, I know what it takes to, to go through that degree, right? I went through it using doing computer engineering and it's, I didn't even learn Cofusion, right? And so it doesn't matter what you learn there. The, the, what I find that is attracts me in that sense is that they learn how to solve problems, right? And my engineering degree, that's what it taught me. My engineering degree taught me a great base in mathematics a great base to develop algorithms, a great base to do design patterns and to really get the actual core concepts of software engineering design and analysis. And I think that if you do not have that, you, you will gain it only through experience, right? So that is a difference. If somebody has gone to school and had received a degree in computer science or computer engineering, they will have an edge in that area, right? Um, so they will have a, an edge in the sense of knowing, right, how to tackle a problem firsthand, right, how to actually present that software analysis and design, get exposure to languages, exposure to different things that, you know, a person that may not have a, a college degree might not have received that, right? And if they didn't receive that from a college education, they must receive it from somewhere else, right? And that most of the time could be experience, right? or, or self-taught knowledge. And like I said, um, for us at Ortus, it's not a requirement, but it's, it, it stands out, right? And you can have a different conversation with a person in that sense, because you can, you can uh, basically, if, if it's like, if you know somebody that knows design patterns, right? Your language changes, right? Because now you're talking in terms of patterns and terms of approaches, right? That you are on that base language. So very interesting philosophical uh, blog post by by nolan right but uh but yeah i think at least in my opinion at ortus i am always looking more for passion for people i will always take passion over knowledge let me put it that way yep for sure knowledge can always be received can always be taught and mentored but i don't think passion can be taught yeah like i always talk about it in a couple of different ways to develop is you got your nine to fiver and you got your lifer the nine to fiver checks out at five o'clock and doesn't think about programming doesn't think about anything doesn't think about his problems till he shows up on monday you got the lifers and you know that's me i can't stop thinking about these things you know like i just that's just not possible and you know those different types of people you know like brad i'm sure he goes to bed and sleeps about command box like just that's how he is and it's uh, just a different thing sleep brad <laughs> well, never sleeps <laughs> well, he does eventually, but, uh, but yeah, that's the other thing too. I mean, I think, you know, like I mentioned the design patterns and those types of things, like, you know, you just don't learn, um, as quickly or as easily, you know? So I, I think the college does give you that. The other thing too is, you know, 
for me, you know, usually college, the way I've always looked at it is, it's like, okay, can this person, you know, basically show up to the lectures, you know, because you have to show up eventually. You have to get the work done without, you know, supervision. You're not getting micromanaged. Can they work by themselves? Can they work in a group even though they don't want to? Can they get stuff done on deadlines? Can they stick through it and get it done even though they hate it? You know, college is, you know, it's a test of, you know, your, your, your testament really as well. It's like, you know, so if you can put all that work in and come out with a degree, then usually what they say is, okay, you've got a degree. Great. Now forget everything you learn. Like this is how we do it, you know. But it's it's a it's a checkbox, you know. And if you've got two developers that are really both pretty close, and one has a college degree and one doesn't, that might be a deciding factor. So, you know, like it's probably not always a requirement, but you can usually weed out a lot of, you know, options. It's just that's the part of it. But like you say, the I mean, I got my design uh, gang of four book out the other day because I'm like I need to touch up my design patterns, you know. Like I bought it over from New Zealand with me. It was one of the books I kept, you know. And so, so yeah, it's it's one of those things. But you know, again, I think even though they say it's a requirement, they say it's a requirement to have 20 years experience with Docker. And it was only nine years old, you know. Like there's a lot of things that people put in requirements, and so it's not always a hard rule. But you know, it does usually weed out the people that have just learned it yesterday and trying. So. But yeah, but I think those all the points you made are you know perfect examples. It's there's a lot of things you learn. Like I didn't learn cold fusion, but I learned a lot of different things about a lot of different things, um, and you know, it's valuable. Could I have learned it without it? Yep. But you know, there's certain things that I probably would have. Valuable. I mean, I can attest that the engineering degree background that I received has helped me so much. Uh, a thousand percent. I mean, more than a thousand percent. I, I can't tell you how many times I, I still have my college books here and I revert to some of them, you know, because I remember, oh, I saw this in, you know, in low level programming and it gives me an idea for something to implement. So um, I think it's extremely valuable to get a degree in engineering or science. It, it really will benefit you no matter how you see it. Right. Yep. For sure. But Again, you know, just it depends. Specialties, like there are a lot of other ways to, to learn a lot, you know, boot camps and everything else. You know, if you pick the right ones, there's a lot of things you'll learn in those too. So, you know, but yep. Again, it was a, a nice one, thought provoking. Got some good comments on Facebook too. So, we also had a tweet from Brad uh, just reminding people that CFML queries have member functions like arrays and structs. So a lot of people didn't realize you could do each and map and reduce and filter, uh, you know, and basically just like arrays and structs. And, uh, you know, it's kind of neat. Um, and then if um, I think Scott even replied saying Lucy has some things like slice and everything else as well. So that was pretty cool. Yeah, definitely. And I think that it's important to note that if you go to the modern CFML book, um put the link here uh for queries we we've listed all those there so i think that that's more of a of a functional approach to these data structures in any language and they're offered pretty much in any language at this point so um it, it's just becomes your language becomes more fluent and 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 you're you stop basically creating a lot of assignments and a lot of variables if you start doing all these member functions so i really encourage people to 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 look at them yep the loop um course that Nolan did on CFCast is really good too, learning some yeah. more functional things. Next up, we have um, a, a sort of a blog post on the community website from Brad. And so this one, um, a few people have been talking about, you know, server security and command box and undertow. And so um, he went through and actually scanned command box and undertow with 
the OWASP zap tool. And so he shared that I'll share my screen. Um, so basically he walked through the sort of the process, um, you know, and sort of shared the results here. So kind of, uh, kind of neat to, to see that. And, uh, that tool is really, really powerful. If you've ever seen it, um, just, you know, it does take a little while to get it configured, <laughs> you know, set up exactly the way you want. I remember seeing this in Pete's, uh, workshop several years ago, he was showing us, yeah. you know, security and he used the zap tool, but, uh, but yeah, so this is a, a nice little write up from Brad, you know, to find out more about that. So if you've got security concerns about using command box or undertow server in production or whatnot, it's a great, great little write up. Okay. So what else do we have here? Oh, Brad again. And that boy. Yep. It's a goodie, uh, an oldie, but a goodie, Gavin. Oh, it is. So I thought it was funny. His tweet, uh, he actually started a sentence and didn't finish it. And he said he tossed this, uh, this tool. And, uh, I think he forgot the words up on uh, GitHub. <laughs> and so Charlie's like, you threw it away. <laughs> and so he's like, no, that's not what I meant. But uh, that's why Brad needs to sleep. <laughs> yeah. So um, he says he built this little thing. It's, you know, in Brad style, it's maybe not the prettiest, but um, it works. <laughs> um, it's a SQL server monitor tool. And um, he says it's really great for finding, you know, processes with locks and blocking over processes and that type of thing. So, yeah. So he's throw up there on GitHub. So um, that might be kind of fun to play with too. I haven't actually had a chance to play with that, but you remember that from back in the day? Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, Brad usually, you know, tosses all these tools out into GitHub, but uh, his, uh, his UI skills need, need some, some assistance there. So maybe we can spice it up, Gavin. Maybe. Yeah. I'll have to get it running. I know that we have a couple of clients running MS SQL that I could yeah. hit it against and see what's going on. That's probably yeah, why he was can, using uh, it. Wrap this up in a little module, you know, maybe uh, even put it as a, as a debugger panel for CB debugger. Ooh. Always got more ideas. Yep. Okay. Well, that wraps up our blog suites and videos of the week. We had quite a lot, but we have a few job postings here too. So we have six jobs posted on getcfmljobs.com. So it looks like they're looking for a full-time cold fusion developer in Washington, DC, uh, full stack developer remote in Sacramento, California, um, a cold fusion developer in Connecticut. And we have a, an IT web developer in, at Everett, a senior cold fusion developer in GeoNorth Information Systems. And then we also have a database administrator, administrator with cold fusion at remote. So lots of uh, good little links there. And then we have some other ones that I saw as well. I think a couple of them were mentioned in the, the main list, but Auto Solutions up on the Auto Solutions slash about dash us slash careers for those watching i'm sharing my screen so we've got a couple of jobs posted here too so we got the senior cold fusion developer in the usa team make sure that the time zone and the citizen or resident work visa is a must and then uh, we also have a developer of web design so i just always guess with this one here but, yeah, <laughs> but we're yeah. actually revamping all our career sections so we're going to have a new a new look and uh, there's actually five positions available for the Salvadorian team. So I think Edgardo is posting them on CFML jobs and we're gonna be updating this page pretty soon into more of a career section. So that's on the works. Okay, and then we had Everett Community College, which I mentioned, I think was mentioned in the Get CFML job and then the consortium, 
which I believe is actually um, in Washington, D.C., so that's quite possible that's the first one, too. But trying to share those links. If you guys have other jobs, let us know. Um, and I think the Consortium one is the one that Dan Frederick sent me a week or so ago, and so that one is there now. Okay, so lots of good jobs opportunities there. But let's talk about Forgebox Module of the Week. And this one, I can't believe we haven't covered yet because I use it every day in every single project and I'm surprised. Um, so we're going to talk about the Sentry tool. And so this module, which is written by Auto Solutions, connects your CFMR applications to send bug reports to Sentry.io. So can you remember when we started using this? Yeah, yeah, it was quite a few years ago. We've always had a knack for logging, right? Obviously, writing logbox and we started with Buglog HQ, which was a project by a friend of mine called Oscar Arevalo. And um, he was kind of a, a trendsetter in this kind of bug tracking services. Um, that project kind of died off, but a Sentry is a great SaaS solution for bug tracking. There's many of them, but uh, Sentry is open source as well. And they have a free plan. They have a kind of host yourself plan as well. You can also do a paid plan. Uh, we met them at DevNexus actually, and their, their project is just solid. And Brad basically at that conference whipped out this uh, Sentry module, so you can use uh, you can use it basically from any Cobox application. Any bug or any exception that occurs uh, will be sent to Sentry. Uh, he also created a logbox bridge, so that means that you can actually send log messages into uh, Sentry and have them charted and categorized in their time series database. So really, really cool stuff that you can do with Sentry from your ColdFusion uh, Coldbox applications. So really recommend it. We use it for every single app that we've built and deployed and for all the uh, SaaS services that we're building on. And Brad has a lot of great insight into the actual uh, exceptions that happen, you know, from stack traces to connecting it to the actual repositories, uh, the actual code. You can actually see and highlight the actual code of exceptions. You can replay the exception, which is fantastic. So if you actually want to do some uh, monitoring with Fusion Reactor or any other monitoring tool, you can actually do the replay from your desktop and just you know do the replay and actually monitor at the same time. So uh, I cannot express how amazing this project is and how you can help support it uh, as well. Yep. And as I mentioned earlier, this is actually a module that makes use of the function line numbers module that I believe that John Berquist wrote, I believe. Um, so that's an, you know, a module that this module uses. And again, it's community members are helping us build tools because they're building it for us. And I was right, it is John Berquist. And so, yeah, that's a great little module. And again, I, I mean, I use this for my, my Vue.js apps. I use it for my Quasar apps that run on Android devices it reports back to so I can, you know, bring all those different ones together, you know? So it's kind of neat that we have, you know, all these little tools and uh, and Sentry does a great job of all of them. I used to hear them uh, advertising on um, on all these different podcasts that it was on. Like they were dumping money into everything. So it's right. a really good system. Again, for most sites, you can probably live on their free plan. And then if you want to host it yourself, you can do that too. So uh, yeah, it's a great sure. option. There's another alternative called Rollbar, and we have a module for that as well. So um, Rollbar is another uh, Sentry-like. Application. They don't allow you to do hosted versions of it, but uh, it is SaaS. But there's a free plan as well, and there's also a, a roll bar module for it. 
Yep, and I know Kai Koenig built a ray gun one for that. You know, then all of these sort of tie into the logbox. Uh, you know, the cool thing is, too, it doesn't have to be just errors. You know, like I actually have it when my Docker images deploy uh, or a server starts up. I send a sentry notification so I know that something started or, or ended when, you know, I can even use it for keeping track of users if they log in or not. And if an error happens and there's a logged in user, it actually has the logged in user information in the error. So I know which user it had it on, which page. It's really cool to see, you know, some of the detail it has. So really awesome. And I thought we'd, we'd mention that one before, but we've just mentioned it in like five other modules that use Sentry or link to Sentry or talk about Sentry. So here we go. Sentry. It's a great little tool. Go get it on forgebox.io. Okay. Next up, we have a VS Code hint tip and trick of the week. And this one is... Uh, a new feature. It wasn't actually an extension, but it's part of VS Code 1.64 that was released um, not too long ago now. But it has uh, all sorts of cool features uh, in it. But one of them is what they call um, the file nesting. And so a lot of times in VS Code, you've got ways to like fold code inside of a file or whatnot. But this actually allows you to fold files into a subgroup in your side menus for those watching you'll see that it'll actually have a little group for example main.typescript you know main.ts what it allows you to do is configure it so anytime you have a file.ts um, it'll actually group several of the related files together and so you can actually collapse them in your your menu and so a lot of times you'll have things where maybe you have you know uh, let's say a user a user mod, uh, user CFC with a user service and maybe a user gateway or user DAO, you could configure it to basically allow the user to be a, a subgroup. And when you click expand, it would show you all the related files based on that. And so you can configure it. This little blog post sort of gives more description on it, tells you how to go set the setting and how to, you know, set your little configuration. Um, but it's kind of cool. You can just set up your own patterns so we can use it for cold fusion, even though the examples are no different things, but uh, it gives some examples for, you know, for different developers. So this has got a good example for Angular developers, for example, but you'll see like the little video, like the feature, you can actually group all your feature stuff together and it just shrinks them up. And so it's kind of neat. Um, sure. you know, yeah. So I thought that was kind of a neat little tip. And again, that's not even an extension. That's just built straight into VS Code. It's just one of the configuration options. You know, change your settings and away you go. But that made me start thinking about how we organize some of our code and, and our tests and everything else. I'm like, I wonder if we could tweak some of that, to, you know, basically if you have the test file open as well as the normal file and it's named the right way, that we could have the collapsing automatically do that. And I was like, ooh, that'd be nice. Do you have a, your your user file, your user service, and then the user test and the user service test. And, you know, with the right settings, we might better group them all together nicely. So I was like, hmm. Something so, to check out. <laughs> yeah. So you got me thinking, because I saw something the other day about how people uh, in some languages actually put their tests in the same file that they write their production code. And when they deploy it to production, it pulls the test and, you know, removes it from the compiled code. And I was like... You know, sometimes you have code which is so separate, and you've got four different w folders you're working from. And so I was like, interesting. Like, this type of folding might solve some of those same dilemmas, you know. So, anyways, got me thinking. So, that's your VS Code tip of the week. The week. 
We should have a little jingle for this tip of the week, Gavin. <laughs> okay. Well, just add a little more uh, into the production here. We'll get polished. Don't worry. The tip of the week. So next up, we got time to thank all our awesome Patreon supporters. So why is it important that they support us, Luis? Because they need to show love. They need to show us love. No, but uh, it's really important because it, it really helps. I mean, uh, we do this for the community. We do so many things for the community because we know we, we want this community to keep succeeding, keep growing. We're super motivated. And uh, thank you so much for supporting us. And like I said, like we mentioned at the beginning of the show, if you have a bronze package, you actually will get a Four Trucks Pro and a CFCast subscription as a perk of that patronage. And the, the higher the patronage, obviously, the more goodies that you get as well. So um, look it up. We have a lots of, of patrons helping and assisting the community. And, you know, uh, thank you so much for everything that the people are doing to support us. Yep. And remember on the community.autosolutions.com site, you know, you get that little profile badge. You have your own little private forum access to, you know, so those are some of the, the perks there as well. And uh, usually once we get to a certain point, we're only supposed to read the names of people on a certain level or higher, but you know, we don't have a, you know, a ton. So we try and support everybody right now. We thank everybody by name. We mess up their names, but that's okay. Cause it means we love you. <laughs> yeah. But we do what we can. We even have like little phenomenon uh, phonics next to the name, just so we can try and remember how to pronounce some of the, the trickier ones. Those who sent us videos, you know, we appreciate it. <laughs> we try to take it into consideration. But since you're not on as much as me, I think it's your turn to to mess up the sure. names. I still don't know how to say Ben's last name. I don't I don't know if it's Ben Nadal or Ben Nadal. Uh, you know, the Latino in me wants to say Nadel. So can we get something from Ben to tell us how to actually say his last name? He actually did name? tell us on one of the episodes. He, he's guest, uh, guest on one of these uh I think we did a Christmas special with him a couple of years ago and everything. And he did tell me, and of course I don't remember. Cause again, you've, you've got three different ways to say it and I can't remember the right one. So it's, it's my fault that we murdered every week, Ben, but we still, we still we'll love you. A, we'll uh, do it the Latino way. And then we'll, we'll you can get away with that. I can't do that. So <laughs> All right, we'll start by thanking Mr. John Wilson, Eric Hoffman, Gary Knight, Mario Rodriguez, Giancarlo Gomez, David Belanger, Dan Card, Jonathan Parrott, uh, Jeffrey McGee from Sunstar Media 6, Dean Monder, Joseph Lamarie, Don Bellamy, uh, Jan Yannick, Lakshma Turtohadi, Carl von Stetten, Jeremy Adams, Didier Lesniki, Matthew Clemente, Daniel Garcia, Scott Steinbach from Agri Tracking Systems, Ben Nadel, Brett Deline, Kai Koenig, uh, Charlie Earhart, Jonas Eriksson, uh, Jason Diger, Sean Oden, Matthew Darby, Ross Phillips, Edgardo Cabezas, Patrick Flynn, Stephanie Monge, uh, John Wish, Kevin Wright, and Peter Amidi. Thank you so much for supporting us. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, it definitely goes a long way. And that means that we have, you know, more funds to support some of the other open source initiatives, including, like I said, the, the S3 storage for Forgebox. It means you don't even have to have a place to put your Forgebox things. Forgebox will do it for you. We'll store it on S3, obviously up to a certain size, but it's pretty generous. So uh, definitely enough. And again, if you come watch my webinar on Forgebox, you'll learn more about that too. So 
But again, a lot of great content. Thanks a lot for joining me, Luis. And uh, yeah, we'll see everybody next week. Anytime. Anytime, guys. Have a good one, everybody. Bye. Bye. Show notes for this episode can be found at cfmlnews.modernizeordie.io, where you can also subscribe to your favorite podcast player like Spotify or iTunes. We also have the link to YouTube to find more videos just like this. The music used in this podcast is under a royalty-free license from Sound.com and Blue Tree Audio.